One of the biggest episodes that we've done on IndieThinker thus far is the guest show that we just released this past Sunday with Stovall Weems, and we talked about his resignation from Celebration Church. Now, there's some big philosophical questions that I just did not have the time to get to in my conversation with Stovall that have to do with the church, that have to do with culture. So I figured it's right up the alley of IndieThinker, and I wanted to answer the big three questions that emerged from my time together with him. So that's what we're going to cover today on Indie Thinker. Our show today is sponsored by our friends over at Anchor, A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z. If you want to know what the biz is, then you need to go to Anchor, especially if you have a small business or if you are wanting to expand your business, but you need some extra resources to do so, then you need to go to our friends at Anchor because they are your one-stop business solution organization. They can help you with accounting. They can help you with bookkeeping. They can help you with a number of administrative tasks to see all of the way that they can help free you up so that you can focus on your bottom line, your vision, and everything that you've been called to do with your business. You need to go to ancur.biz so that you can see how they can help you with small business solutions. So do that today, and when you do so, let them know that IndieThinker sent you. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. I hope you enjoyed the guest show that we just had with Stovall Weems. If you haven't, you can go back to it and uh, listen to it. I think it's worth your while. Even if you're not a Christian, I believe these stories are interesting because it's a spotlight into what's going on in the church, perhaps, but also it's a spotlight into things that are going on in the culture. And I think we bring up some interesting, um, some interesting subjects of conversation as we dig in to what happened with Stovall as the head pastor of one of the largest churches in America. And, and more importantly, it brought up some questions that I want to bring to you today and try to answer that we just didn't have time to answer in the original show. So at the risk of revealing to you my social class growing up, I'm going to tell you that um, I watched professional wrestling during the age of Hulkamania and was hooked as a young man. Um, and then that kind of grew, I guess, too, if I'm going to really be revealing and show you my soul, um, that grew into my appreciation for it when I was a little bit older, when there was this exodus to the WCW from, at the time, I think it was the WWF, now the WWE. Um, and, uh, and then Holt going over there and all of that stuff. So I watched that stuff growing up. Now, what I'm about to tell you may reveal that I haven't grown up that much because I just started watching something called The Dark Side of the Ring, and it's not like The Dark Side of the horror movie, The Ring, because I don't watch horror movies because I'm not a freak. So, um, so it's The Dark Side of the Ring, like the wrestling ring, so it's behind the scenes, true stories of things that happen in professional wrestling. And I actually find documentaries really interesting, and this one particularly interesting. I think it's pretty well done. Um, and I got to the Montreal Screwjob, which for those of you who actually had class growing up, you, you, you won't know this, so let me reveal it to you, that this is about Bret Hart and what took place with his final match for the WWF before he went over to the WCW. And uh, they bring up a term in this this episode about the Montreal Screwjob, and it's called kayfabe. So apparently, as a result of 
uh, Bret Hart being done wrong in his last match, match for the WWF before he went to the WCW, um, he went out and he revealed to the public as a way to kind of get back at Vince McMahon, the owner of wrestling. Um, even as I'm talking about this, I'm just thinking people are losing respect by the thousands. But you watched it too, so it's kind of, it's kind of like McDonald's. You walk in there and you're like, well, I guess we have to, um, and just pretend like you've never been there. Uh, and, and pretend like their dollar menu isn't like just salvation for your pocketbook. Anyway, um, it's getting worse, right? Uh, so anyway, kayfabe was just simply a, uh, it's the kind of facade or the, the act that is presented to the people. Now, this is an old, I think, uh, like a uh, carny term where it's, it's the act that you reveal to the people, not letting them know what actually behind, happens behind the scenes, what's really going on. And, and, and this is what Bret Hart did. So he just totally broke the kayfabe and broke the wrestler's code by letting people know that the matches are rigged in advance. We never knew. Um, and rigged in advance and that the storylines are planned in advance. And so because he was so disgruntled about the way that the things didn't go as was planned prior to the match, he revealed to everybody that, that this happened. So um, I think sometimes when we do church stories, we, we run the risk of of having the same kind of mentality, like uh, don't spoil the kayfabe, right? Don't spoil the illusion of the church having all of its act together. But I think the reality is this, is that the more we pull the curtain behind what's going on at church and how the church is run, it, 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 it hopefully does not give people this increasing sense of the church cannot be trusted. Hopefully it does this. It helps people see that Christians, churchgoers, people who believe in the Bible, that, that we are not afraid of scrutiny because the faith that we stand for can withstand the scrutiny. See, I don't even think it's that we show how real we are to the world and how we struggle just like you struggle. That's, that's not it to me. To me, if the curtain can be pulled back and we can scrutinize the church, then we can see errors and we can fix those errors because the church should be a pristine institution that is not afraid of rebuke and isn't afraid of being exposed and isn't afraid of the truth coming out because we love and hunger for the truth. Now, as idealistic as that may sound, I guess what I'm saying at the end of the day is, as white trash, trash as I possibly can say it, that we're not afraid of the kayfabe being exposed because we know that underneath all of our issues and all the things that happen sometimes in church is, is a heart in people for the truth. And that we believe that the church is an institution that fundamentally is about dispensing that truth and is fundamentally important to society. Now, we'll get to that in a moment, but, but that's what I would say the heart behind the whole story that, that I've done with Stovall and done with other pastors in the past is not to just try to have these revealing exposés about the church, but to say we love the church, and whenever we see things in the church, let's be honest about them, let's have the conversation, and let's desire the best for, uh, for the church. So, a couple of questions that emerged from my conversation with Stovall. I think the first one is this, is should Christians sue each other? Now, generally, I'm just going to say I think the answer to this question is no. I don't think Christians should be in the habit of not being able to settle disputes among themselves and, and, and needing to get an outside authority to get them to actually act correct uh, and act the way they should act. This is not the way of the church. But this goes back to what is actually written in Scripture about this very issue because a lot of people will bring up 1 Corinthians 6 in order to, I guess, just create 
the understanding that the church is a institution outside of the law and should not be necessarily operating within the same principles of the law because we are not a legalistic institution, we're a spiritual institution. All right, so that's kind of the idea that many people have when they bring up 1 Corinthians 6. Now, for those of you who don't know what it says, I want to bring it up for you now. And this is coming out of the New Revised Standard Version, and I read out of this version often. And it says this, starting in verse 1. When any of you has a grievance against another, do you dare take it to court before the unrighteous instead of taking it before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels to say nothing of ordinary matters? If you have ordinary cases, and this is a key point there, ordinary cases, do you appoint as judges those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to decide between one believer and another? But a believer goes to court against a believer and before unbelievers at that. In fact, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud and believers at that. So as you can see from that verse of scripture, there's a lot of people who think that when it says, like, it's better for you to be defrauded, it's better for you to be unjustly treated than to go to court with another believer. I, I, a lot of people think that what that essentially means is just this, that there are, there's no circumstance whatsoever that you should ever go to court or involve any legal process uh, against another Christian under any circumstance. Well, the problem with that understanding of that verse of Scripture is that it doesn't take into account the language that I just read from this version, which says ordinary. So it's not that there is no situation or no circumstance that you would ever get legal authorities involved in a situation as a Christian that you might be able to handle yourself. It's that there are certain circumstances where it just doesn't make sense for them to be involved. The, the idea is this, is more like that because you're a spiritual people, you should be able to handle natural matters. What it seems to be alluding to more than anything is that it's alluding to the fact that you should not be living in such a way that court is necessary. That's what I think it's really talking about. Not that if you're defrauded, you should never go to court, but that you should never defraud. Or that if you are being slandered, that you should never go to court. It's that you shouldn't be slandering. That's the idea, is that the church is different. You're supposed to live differently. But it is not, as Romans 13 tells us, that civic authorities or that the authorities have no role in the life of a Christian. So let me give you a for instance. Paul, although not going to law before uh, other Christians, but doing so against unbelievers, appeals to the laws of Rome as a Roman citizen and says, hey, I don't want you to just let me go and slap me on the wrist. I actually want you to send me to Rome because I'm a Roman citizen and put me on trial there. Now, he's doing it for gospel reasons, but he's appealing to civic authorities in order to do so. But let me give you some practical examples where maybe this will help us understand uh, a little bit better why we may want to get civic authorities involved. So let's say someone close to you is raped and the person who raped that person who's close to you becomes a Christian as a result of, of that horrific event and they're very sorrowful, they're repentant even, and they ask forgiveness to the family. Do you then say, hey, it's okay, it's all forgiven, uh, don't worry about it, and then don't involve the authorities? Now, there may even be some people who think so, 
But no, I think the right thing to do in that situation is to forgive the individual, but then for that individual to pay for their crime, uh, regardless of the fact if they're a Christian or, or not. Maybe another scenario. So let's just say you're a famous, as far as you can call this person famous, uh, for playing in the WNBA. You're a famous WNBA player. Um, and you go to a foreign country and you happen to bring drugs with you and those drugs are found and you're sentenced to nine years in a Russian prison. Now, let's say you don't, you're not high on your own farts and you don't believe the mainstream media when they tell you that really this is a casualty of the fact that you just don't get paid enough in the U.S. for playing a sport that nobody wants to watch and that actually you deserve way better than this and this is a travesty of justice. Let's say you've thrown that nonsense to the side and you maybe realize that you probably shouldn't have brought drugs into the country, but nonetheless, you want to take every resource within your power to make sure that you get extra back to the U.S. or that you don't have to pay for the, pen the, the honestly, exorbitant penalty that you're going to have to pay in Russia for this crime. And so you want to get every legal power at your disposal to fight against those who sentenced you, whether they're Christians or not. You, you go to court um, and you try to do your best to get out of this foreign country and go back to the United States where you will, where you will face a much smaller penalty for what you just did if you face any penalty whatsoever. So let's say you realize that America is actually a pretty great, great country after all in, in hindsight and, and you want to do that. Is it wrong if ha some of these people happen to be Christians that you're fighting against in these places of authority um, in order to get your freedom? Is it wrong for you to take those people to court, to sue those people, and to desire something better for yourself? I think we would all say no. So the sum total is this. Should Christians sue other Christians? I think generally speaking the answer to that is no, but it's not because we shouldn't sue when we have been done wrong. The reason we shouldn't sue is that we shouldn't have to sue. We should be better than the things that often cause us to sue in the criminal justice system. We should, we should not be slandering. We should not be doing these things. But when those things happen, is it right for us as Christians to demand that a good and right response and a just response come from that? Um, I would think the answer to that is yes. And in the podcast, we get to this. Uh, you'll even see it a little bit in the intro. But that justice is a godly attribute and it's something that should be desirable from Christians even if it involves a criminal justice system which by the way happens to be built upon some biblical virtues um, that justice is a, a biblical principle and in fact the truth is not possible where there is no justice so if you love the truth and you care about the truth you want justice so the answer to this is just simply generally no but there are cases and instances where we should uh, where we should involve civil authorities and lawsuits are necessary. Now, I'll just say this in closing. There's a context issue here too. We're talking about a small group of people dealing with personal disputes. We're not talking about property being stolen from you, your name being defamed openly and being slandered openly. We're not talking about those things per se. We're talking about a small group of people who should be able to handle disputes among themselves rather than just going to uh, civil authorities. And let's also remember, contextually, the civil authorities of that day would handle these kind of smaller personal disputes. 
um, so that they didn't turn into bigger riots in, in the city. Um, so what, what simply Paul is trying to illustrate is just that the Christian church should be a little bit better than this, not that we shouldn't be able to defend ourselves. All right, but let's go into question number two. A lot of people ask in these kind of situations, and with this story in particular, do you believe that Stovall is innocent of the charges that he was accused of? And so I thought this was a great opportunity to kind of share my process with you guys. So first and foremost, you should know this. Before I bring on a person like Stovall or anybody else, um, I typically have many offline conversations with them, especially if it's a legal issue, because I have to protect myself as well. So you should know that prior to having Stovall on the show, I have probably... Uh, logged around three hours of conversation, four hours of conversation with him digging into every aspect of this story before I even had him on. And then I will say this, that I also did some digging myself into the story and into the report uh, that Celebration Church put on their website, which we dig into in great detail in the episode. And I'll say this, the reason that I wanted to have Stovall on is not only did I talk with him and stage multiple hour-long conversations with him about these issues, but I also read the report, and in doing so, there is something that didn't smell right to me. So the question comes then, is he innocent? And so this is what I can tell you. To this day, I don't know. But I can only tell you this, that I think he's innocent in the way that every single person wishes they had done things differently in their past or maybe hadn't done this or hadn't done that. Um, and if they had it to do over again, they would probably handle a situation a little bit differently. He's, he's innocent in that way, that all of us have sin and all of us have shortcomings. And he's also innocent in the way I think that he didn't do the things that he's accused of. And the reason I bring up the smell test is just simply this, because I think we as Christians need to get better at the smell test. And this is one of the main reasons I wanted to have Stovall on. We need to be able to look at evidence and clearly and articulately be able to dissect that evidence before we get emotional about it. And this is so important to me because I think that in the Christian church, we're, we're not great at this. Um, I, I see this so very often um, in comment sections and in responses to things that we don't really deal with information effectively. We don't have a healthy mechanism in the Christian church with really um, with dealing with complicated matters. We like things black and white. When things get gray, we, we try to push them into black and white as quickly as possible. Now, I'll be clear. There are black and white issues that the church needs to weigh in on and be clear about. But then there's also some some nuanced thinking that we need to be able to achieve in these issues. And I think that hopefully this issue isn't just so black and white when we say, well, this pastor probably deserved it because of X, Y, and Z. Well, like, that's not an, a thoughtful, articulate response. He probably deserved it. Like, <laughs> if you had anything ever taken away from you, you probably would never make such a cavalier statement. He probably deserved it. Um, no, let's, let's be a little bit more thoughtful than that. And I think that's why it's important to have these kind of conversations. So you should know, I honestly do not think that he is guilty of the things that he was accused of. But even if he was, I would still have him on my show. And that's not to give a platform to somebody who's done things that they shouldn't do. But that is to, again, have these kind of conversations that challenge our thinking, help us think about uh, issues that are very sometimes complicated and a little bit murky, but so that we can have a clear Christian response to some of these things 
that are going on in our world and so that we can not just stick our head in the sand and pretend that they don't exist. Again, let's, let's expose any kayfabe because we're not interested in fables and stories and things that we tell ourselves. All right, so question number three. Um, that, I, that I've gotten is this, is doesn't stories like this prove big money and churches don't mix very well? And again, I think I can answer kind of generally here. And I think the answer to that question is, is yes. In so many ways, I echo the sentiment that the modern day church is chronically shallow and in desperate need of a wake up call. I, I really do believe that. I see communities of pastors worried about strategies for packing their seats, but then so few of them are, are that eager to ask really important questions like, why is the suicide rate skyrocketing? And why is Christian feminism uh, anything that we should even have conversations about while single parent rates are skyrocketing and men are pretending to be women? Shouldn't these more urgent issues just, don't they demand our attention? I see so very few Christian conferences dedicated to the decline of Christianity in the West and how to become a thoughtful uh, church pastor that provides articulate and brilliant answers to the secularism of our age. I don't see any conferences like that. I sometimes wonder if the disciples, if they were alive today and, and they were walking around some of our biggest megachurches, if they would walk around perpetually dumbfounded by what they see when they see the megachurch and they see the seeker-sensitive movement. I think people who have been successful at these things, the megachurch and the seeker-sensitive movement, to a certain extent, are blinded by the unethical nature of so much uh, that we find in the church. Uh, I don't think that they see that it's wrong or even just simply unbiblical. They're blinded by simple things that if you just look at the scripture, it just cries out to you. But there's another part of me that absolutely detests the deconstruction movement because it seems more about dismantling the church than actually a real concern for the truth. And by the way, I'm talking about places like the Gospel Coalition and the uh, places like Christianity Today and the kind of Christianity that they present. This is the kind of Christianity that believes that the greatest threat in America today is white Christian male evangelicals rather than a second and third wave feminism that wishes to mutilate children with gender, quote unquote gender affirming care outside the womb and is not as vocal and um, horrified by the mutilation of children in the womb and the abortion movement in America. So when we talk about what's right in the church, it's important, important that we go to the source material so we don't miss the truth for, for our preferences merely. And the Bible seems pretty clear the more powerful an institution becomes, the more potential there is for corruption. So how do we balance that with the desire to reach the world, right? Because the idea is like the bigger the church can get, the more people we can reach. So here's my answer, personal responsibility. We have to get back to this and we have to be sure that we hold ourselves accountable to God and his word. And that becomes the thing that we hold over our lives first and foremost, the priority. If we are more concerned or most concerned for that than other stuff, it's probably going to work itself out. And personal responsibility is so important because it'll make sure that when the lights have been turned off in the room while you're trying to film, that you don't curse the darkness. You don't complain to the front desk and, and call them and ask for a new room as though the room was the problem. No. You get up, 
you bump into whatever you need to along the way to make sure that you turn the lights on so that you can go back to recording. And then you get up and you spank whatever little miscreant was under the bed giggling because they thought it was funny to turn the lights off. Um, obviously, I'm speaking of something that, is, that has no bearing in my life personally. I'm just saying if this ever happens to you. But the point is this, is that I hope that's what Indie Thinker is about. It's about emphasizing this space for critical thinking and creating a space where we can talk about things that matter so that we can think about them personally make real changes to the way that we think in our own heads before we ever dream of going out and changing the world. We need to get this right before we can get this right. Not perfect, but, but at least start thinking like Christians and have a robust Christian worldview before we can ever really start working on the world because ultimately what we find is a bunch of Christians who don't have good Christian answers become susceptible to the ways of thinking that, that are out there in the world. So I hope Indie Thinker is an oasis in a world like that, that where the church and the culture is leaning more and more left. And at least I hope it's a source of sarcasm. So for those of you who think that money and church don't mix well, I think you're not wrong. But for those haters who think that this proves that the church is corrupt and evil and that the institution of the church is beyond repair, I encourage you to get a new history book, uh, to get a new history book and a new talking point. The church is still the best hope at producing a much-needed morality and spiritual and spirituality. And speaking of the church and its prominent role in the culture, I want to I want to just deal with the aftermath of this podcast and then kind of close the episode out for today. So after our podcast was released on Sunday, Celebration Church took down its report that has the allegations against its former pastor, Stovall Weems. Now, I don't know if it was directly as a result of the podcast, but I sure think so. It was on the site for 160 days, and it just so happens the same day the podcast was, was released, that report was taken down, and we dig into the report in detail. And then you should also know this. As a result of the podcast, former staff members and current staff members at Celebration Church reached out to Stovall, sending him emails and texts and calling him, and delivering information to him that I think is really, really important to the story and the eventual conclusion of what took place at Celebration, or what will take place at Celebration Church when this is all said and done. So all I can tell you is that it's really, it really feels good and it's really nice to know that you're actually making a difference with the things that you're doing. And I think that that podcast did that. I think it was as charitable as, uh, as, as it is honest and, and truthful. And I do believe that, that it tells us a story of sorts, something that I think we should pay attention to. When you see something that you believe is wrong, we need to take a stand. I've heard Christians with their heart in the right place say things like, I decided to remain quiet before rejoicing over the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Um, and, and I did this so that I could just be a good listener, to listen to all those stories and where people are coming from in the pro-choice community. Quick thought, rejoicing is compassion because you know whose story you're actually going to get to hear now? Those babies that would have been killed in the womb. So rejoicing is actually a stance of compassion. You don't have to pretend to be a good listener only. Take some time to go and talk to the people that would have been destroyed in the womb and I promise you're gonna come away with a different feeling about this issue. Look, there's a reason the vast majority of pastors with large churches will say nothing when it comes to homosexual marriage, abortion, and transmutilation surgeries. And it has nothing to do with thoughtfulness. It has to do with cowardice. 
the radical claim of Christianity deserves radical stances. And I think that's what we were trying to present, that we need to take a stand for the truth and we need to be vocal. And oftentimes those radical stands look like nothing more than a small spark of courage that can start a roaring fire. And I believe that's what Stovall presented in that podcast. He could have remained silent. He could have sat back. He could have pretended that this would all go away. And trust me, he put a lot on the line by, by talking as he did on this podcast because there was a lot to lose for him and there was potentially a lot to lose for me because people very often misinterpret the motives anytime somebody speaks out on a very crucial and important issue. And so, uh, hopefully, hopefully this podcast revealed at least this, that there needs to be more brave, more risky Christians who are willing to stand up, who are willing to speak out, and who are willing to start that small fire by having the courage to stand up for truth no matter what the consequences may be. And just remember, big earthquakes start with small tremors. So stand whenever you can, wherever you can, for what is right, and let the chips fall where they may. There's a need for more and more Christians to be vocal about what's going on in society, what's going on in the culture. We need more Christians who are going to stand up and give robust answers for homosexual marriage, give robust answers for the reason we're pro-life, give robust answers for the reasons that transgenderism is not something that just should be welcomed in the church, but something that we should actively be warning people against. If we can actually get a backbone in this hour with a heart, then we will make a huge difference. The church is needed more than ever before, and we need a couple of brave warriors to stand up for what is right. And it could be you. I hope it's me. Guys, thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.